Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I explore something unexplained, talk about what it is and look at what else it could possibly be. Research is done as academically as possible and references will be given after the stories. This week, I'm looking at a 75-year-old mystery. On the 75th anniversary of her disappearance, we're diving into the mystery of Paula Jean Weldon. Paula was born in 1928. Her father, William Weldon, was a well-known engineer, architect and designer. In 1946, she was a sophomore at Bennington College and majoring in art. She was known to have been going through a depressive episode at the time of her disappearance and had not gone home to celebrate Thanksgiving with her family that year. On December 1st, 1946, Paula returned to her dorm room after working two shifts at the college's dining hall. She studied for a little while before telling her roommate that she was going to go for a hike. She never said where she was going. Around 2.45pm, Paula was seen hitchhiking and was picked up from the side of the road. She told the driver she was planning on hiking the Long Trail near Glastonbury Mountain. She was dropped off three miles from the trail. While she was hiking, she was seen by several people, the last of whom said that Paula had asked how long the trail actually was around 4pm that afternoon. The sun set around 5pm and it began snowing after nightfall. The college required students to sign themselves out if they were going to be out past 11pm and check in with security upon their return. Paula didn't sign out and didn't check back in. She didn't attend her classes on the following Monday, which started alarm bells for people. The college president phoned her parents to ask if she had gone home to visit, prompting William to travel to Bennington, Vermont, to begin searching for his eldest daughter. Paula had been dubbed the Red Riding Hood of Bennington due to the red parker that she wore during her hikes. The day that she went missing, she was wearing that parker, blue jeans, trainers and a small watch. Not good clothing to wear if snow is approaching. However, it was only 10 degrees Celsius when she left to go hiking and it didn't snow for a few hours afterwards, with the temperature dropping to minus 12 degrees Celsius at some points during the storm. Upon William's arrival to Bennington, the search for Paula began. College students were given time off to help with the search. The police were yet to be involved. The first place they checked was Everett Cave, which Paula had said that she wanted to hike to one day. When the search party got to the cave, there were no signs of her and no evidence that she had even been around the area. William expressed his frustration that the police weren't involved in the search for his daughter and reached out to New York State Police. They joined the search and eventually Connecticut police joined as well. 
Soon after, a waitress in Fall River, Massachusetts, reported a sighting of Paula. She had allegedly served a disturbed young woman that she believes looks like Paula. There's no elaboration of what disturbed means here, but it's likely another way of saying agitated. It could also mean fearful, or that she caused a scene for one reason or another. She could even have been hysterical. Whoever it was that had been seen wasn't calm, that's for sure. After hearing about the possible sighting, William disappeared for 36 hours. When questioned later, he states that he was following the lead, but it was so secretive that William became a prime suspect in the investigation. Rumours began that Paula had been upset over an argument she'd had with her family over not going home for Thanksgiving. In response, William said that Paula had also been upset about a man that she liked and he should also be a suspect. It was speculated that the investigation had been poorly managed. Even the college president claimed there was foul play and that Paula's body was being concealed. This was unfounded though, because the investigator report said that the police had gone above and beyond in the search for her. They had dug up an extensive area to look for a corpse. This was unsuccessful, however. William's allegation that it could have been Paula's boyfriend was not taken seriously. It's believed that he was only saying it was the boyfriend because he didn't approve of the relationship. The only proof that surfaced from the allegation came from a psychic too. The allegation that it was the boyfriend and the disappearance of William for 36 hours led to the relationship between him and the police being strained. William felt the police weren't taking the case seriously and were being unprofessional, and many felt that William was involved in Paula's disappearance. Bad weather led to the search parties disbanding, but the investigation didn't end. One of the suspects, Fred Gadette, lived in a shack near the Long Trail and had interviewed as a witness. Every time he was interviewed, his story changed. Nine years later, in 1955, he came forward and said that he knew where Paula's body was. After being questioned again, he admitted to making it up for attention. However, after getting drunk one night, he boasted that he had killed and buried Paula. He was never arrested or charged, though. In 1968, skeletal remains were found near the area of Paula's disappearance. However, they were ruled to be too old to be Paula's remains. The case has gone cold since then, but she still has a profile on the Charlie Project. few theories as to what happened to Paula. Some of them are mundane, others lead to the idea that something supernatural happened. As before, Google Scholar yielded almost no results. Just things related to a book named Hangs a Man by Shirley Jackson, 
which was inspired by the disappearance, but yields no extra theories. One theory, and possibly the most likely, is that Paula had succumbed to the elements. She could have stumbled off the path in the dark and the snow and gotten really lost, eventually dying from exposure. A simple theory, and not very nice to think about, but it still doesn't make sense. With the searches being performed, it's unlikely that they wouldn't have noticed something bright red against the white snow. Although it's the most likely, it still doesn't really make much sense that she could have died in the wilderness and not be found wearing such a bright colour. The next theory is worse than the first. Paula could have been murdered for several reasons. Her father, William, could have murdered her. The family lived in Stamford, Connecticut, so it wasn't all that far for William to travel in response to an argument or Paula telling him she wouldn't be home for Thanksgiving. His disappearance when someone said they'd seen her is super suspicious too. This doesn't make sense because only a few people knew she had been on the long trail, so it was unlikely that William would have been able to find her. She may also have seen something she wasn't supposed to. The long trail extends up to the border of Canada, so it's possible that she saw some kind of illegal situation unfolding along the trail and paid the price for it. Or maybe it was a crime of convenience, with Paula being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or because someone thought she was easy prey since she was alone and attractive. It could have been some random people, or even Paul Gadet. In order for that theory to work, Paula had to get far enough up the trail to be away from most of the public before it got too dark and snowed. But without finding any remains, it's difficult to say whether this is even likely. Another theory is that Paula fled Bennington for a new start. It makes sense, since she was feeling like things weren't great as they were. However, it doesn't really make sense, since during the investigation, it was discovered that she had left cash and a cheque at home. These would have helped her out in starting a new life. The final theory is that something inhuman happened to Paula. Like the Bermuda Triangle, the area around the Glastonbury Mountain is known as the Bennington Triangle. It's the site of many rumours of strange happenings and maybe even a serial killer. Possibilities include aliens, cryptids and any other kind of mysterious monster. It could have even been a time slip or a wormhole that draws people in only to take them somewhere else. Without anything to go on, these theories are just speculation though. My personal theory is supported by the fact that at least five people went missing between 1945 and 1950 in the area. Those numbers lead to the possibility that there was a serial killer active in the area at the time. It's entirely possible that Paula was the victim of such a murderer. Someone who got away with it and then carried on when the trail went cold. For now, there's next to no evidence leading to any definitive answer, and everything is just speculation, even 75 years on. The mystery might have already been solved with the finding of the skeletal remains, but we don't know for now.
The story from today's episode came from the Morbid Library, an article from Lessons from History called The Baffling Disappearance of Paula Jean Weldon, and an article from MRU about Paula Jean Weldon. The information about Paula's clothing came from the Charlie Project website. Theories came from the same places as the story. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, you can currently find me on Facebook at What The Heck Mystery Podcast, Instagram at WT Heck Podcast, and you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash What The Heck Podcast. Just £3 a month will get you access to the unedited versions of the episodes so you can hear all the mess ups I make while recording. I would have made it lower, but the tiers begin at £3, so that was the lowest I could go. More tiers will be added as we go, and as I find more things to share with you outside of the episodes. If you want to pledge more than £3 a month, you're more than welcome to, and I'll have to find something extra special just for anyone who does. I've also set up an email address, watchtheheckpod3 at gmail.com. I'd like you to send in your stories of the unexplained so I can read them out in secondary episodes. But if you have any issues with my phrasing or think some of the things that I've said are insensitive, please don't be afraid to let me know and I'll address them in episodes as I record them. (laughs) 